This is The Unseen, and I'm your host, Mike Cleland. For the next hour, I'll be talking with Alta and Chad Dillard. They are a husband and wife team, and they live in New Orleans. And they wrote a little book about a year ago about their experiences, which are pretty remarkable. It's a thin little book, and I was really a little bit surprised when I first got it, how thin it was. And and, uh, after reading it, I can say that it's a remarkable little book. It's really wonderful. It's a quick read, and there's a lot of information packed in what's just a bit under 70 pages. The title of the book is Orbducted in the French Quarter. They had a very strange experience with a floating orb on a street in the French Quarter of New Orleans. And that's only a part of what we'll be talking about in this hour. Now, I met Alta over the phone. We've never met in person. And she contacted me, I think it must have been around 2011. And we had a series of extremely long phone calls. I think it went a few nights in a row to really to really get her story out. And she told me her story completely, or as best she could. I mean, it felt like she told me everything. Uh, really remarkable. Really remarkable. And um, and we've been in touch off and on over the years, uh, mostly through Facebook. And um, this was a difficult interview to sum this up in an hour, to sum their story up in an hour, because it is much, much richer. And there's a lot more going on in their lives than, than we could touch on in this interview. Now, that said, it was a delight to hang out with them and talk with them for, for this hour. We actually talked for a little bit more than an hour, and I had to play editor and snip a few key points out, and that sort of broke my heart to have to do that. But I squeezed it all in, and I feel like it's a very, very thorough interview, given the short amount of time and the great big story we were trying to cover. Once again, the book is called Orbducted in the French Quarter by Alta and Chad Dillard. This was recorded just a few days after Valentine's Day in February of 2019. Please enjoy. Chad and Alta, I want to say thank you for doing this interview. This means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having us, Michael. Waited a long time, and we are just honored. We're absolutely honored, and we thank you. Well, I'm honored too. So I'm in my hand. I'm holding a book, and uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. The one of the first the book opens very early on in the book. It talks about how you and Chad met on Valentine's Day, and I think that's like I'm recording this just a few days after Valentine's Day, and then something happened just a few days ago, also, which we can follow up on a little bit. But yet, if you could tell the story of how you two met, that's really a remarkable story. The beginning of the beginning of Chad and Alta, 1990, Valentine's Day. Uh, Chad's handed this off to me. I'll start this, and then Chad will uh, interject his his memory of this experience. My memory is um, it's Valentine's Day. I am 33 at the time. I have never been married. I've never had children. I happen to have moved back to the city of Little Rock, Arkansas, where my mother lived. I had lived out on out in the West California periods and Southwest periods for some time. And I had come back and uh, I was just not in a very happy state of mind. I was, I felt, I felt lost to be quite honest uh, at that stage of my life. I had just started a new job that I absolutely did not like. It was involving medical equipment. I've only been on the job that I, that I can recall like about a week. And there's a young guy that works there. His name is David. He's, uh, you know, probably about 10 years younger than I am. Uh, David got my attention one day because he understood that I was just getting kind of grumpy. He knew that I was single and he didn't like the idea that I didn't have a date on Valentine's Day. So he decided he was going to set me up on a blind date. 
uh, I was a bit snippy and I made it clear that I wasn't interested in a blind date. I'd never been on one and had no interest. Well, he didn't hear anything I said. Next thing I know, he's on the telephone and he's calling this guy. And then the next thing I'm hearing just on one end of the conversation, because this is old fashioned telephones, I hear David basically indicating that the guy he's talking to seems very interested, but he can't make the date because he has to work that night. So at that point now they hang up and I'm very frustrated here. I'm one who doesn't want a blind date, but now I can't get a blind date kind of attitude. So my, my temperament is sinking. Let me just say that I leave the job. It's an eight to five or a nine to five kind of operation. Um, I'm in office attire, you know, a suit, high heels, so on. I want to get out of these clothes as quickly as I can. I want to put my jeans on and my tennies. And I just, I decided that day to do something that I just wasn't, it was very unusual for me. And that was, I was going to go somewhere all by myself and I was going to go have a drink. Now, again, there's no saintliness about me, never has been, never will be, but I have always been very, um, pretty much anti, you know, drinking and driving. And so again, very out of character behavior. Uh, so, and I also mentioned very quickly, my mom and I weren't doing quite well with each other. I had no business moving back in with my mom at that stage in my life, but I had been very attached to her throughout my life. And so everything is just kind of setting this scenario up for me to make that decision to go out on my own. I decide at that point, once I'm in the car and I'm driving, it's still daylight somewhere between 536 Valentine's Day, Arkansas. I'm now at this point realizing I don't even know where to go. I've been gone for some time. The city is growing and changed. Where in the world am I going to go? So I decided to stay relatively close to my mom's neighborhood. My mom was kind of a big fish in a little pond at that point in the city. So she was well known. We're mixed Indian, uh, French and Scott. Scottish is what I've been told all my life. So mom was kind of considered an elder of all the places, there's a small little location that's not far from my mom's neighborhood. And it looked like like an old, I almost want to say thatched. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure it's not, but that's what's coming to me as I'm trying to describe this place. It's a tiny parking lot, tiny location that seems like it's something straight out of, oh, I don't know, uh, history of Ireland or Scotland, like a little tiny pub. Well, there's nobody there. There's no cars. So I'm like, well, that's close. And what the hey? And let's just check this out. I walk in and I remember a table, small table and chairs, pool table, an old bar, old wood bar. And I mean, it's there's nothing particularly attractive about this, except it's interesting at that moment. But I'm still in a foul mood. I needed to feel secure. So all of a sudden around the corner. Now there's not a soul. What I can see is a soul in this location. This grandma looking woman comes around the corner, white haired, rosy cheeked, plump, just what I needed to feel safe. And she asked me, you know, what I like, what have you. And I, I remember just asking for a draft, a beer. I remember at the point that she hands that off or, you know, gets it to me, the door opens up the entrance and these two men come in. Now, again, without exaggeration, it's still light out. So who knows? Maybe that's what's reflecting. But I, I'm telling you, when that door opened up and these two guys walk in, it was like, oh, this is weird. Because I took note instantly that they were extremely attractive, well-dressed. My description of that is, I would say, expensive, casual. One of them had on a leather bomber jacket and had very blonde hair. The other one, dark hair, opposites. They come in and my memory is starting to get fuzzy. I do remember playing pool. I also remember my mood doesn't seem to be changing much, which is odd because, again, I'm single. They're very attractive. I also remember that the blonde is indicating that he is the private pilot the dark-haired man. Now, again, I'm not thinking nothing paranormal, high strangeness, my common word for all of this, nothing. I'm just saying this is, I'm having a weird night. Uh, Because again, I'm taking note also that I'm in an old neighborhood. 
with no awareness of any airport. I wasn't in a money neighborhood. So it's all just very weird. Well, okay. The next thing I'm remembering is they're asking me if there's anything livelier in the city, another location. That's where it gets very creepy for me because my lights, I say, go out. Now, I don't remember necessarily. I'm sure I probably drank that beer, but I don't really have memory of that. And all that I do know is just what I've described to you. And the next thing I know, I'm now someplace else with these two guys. Now, I don't remember leaving and I don't remember arriving at the other, the second location. But it happens to be, apparently I chose it because these guys are indicating that they're not from this city. Tourist. So this place that I apparently chose was a huge sports bar that I had never been to before. And the only thing logic says to me is the reason I chose it is because it happened to be in my mother's neighborhood as far as what she was responsible for for the city in terms of uh, environmental codes inspecting and so on. The only thing that makes sense to me is that the owner of this place would have known my mother very well. And again, for safety factor, I can't explain it. Just what happened to me. We get there. I immediately think of a friend who I realize lives up the street from this place that I had worked with in the medical profession. She's same age as I am, 33 at the time, never married, no children. So all of a sudden I'm saying, let me call her and see if she's interested in joining us. It seems like she was there before we hang up the phone. She was very interested. Now, again, weird behavior on my half. I'm a very social person. I love to have a wonderful time with people, but not this night. I'm just in a very bizarre mood. Uh, apparently, when, when she arrived, I decided to separate myself from the three of them. I'm now taking myself away from this little gathering and I moved to the other side of this bar. I'm sitting up at the bar and the place seems packed to me. And it seems like everybody's just having too much fun and I'm sinking emotionally. I feel like I'm sinking. And then the next thing I know, I, it's, you know, my sadness is overwhelming and I'm looking down at the floor and I remember seeing some tennis shoes all of a sudden appearing at my feet. And this very sweet voice asking me if I wanted to play pinball. And I remember in a, I remember this being very tacky on my part, ugly, coming up this guy's legs because I'm looking down and hearing this voice and I'm about ready to just let him have it. I mean, just so out of character. But as I've often said, when I saw this sweet little face looking at me, he was so adorable. It just changed me. I felt instantly. We get over, we start playing pinball, and Chad? Cool. Yeah, um, I guess like Alta said, you know, I, I come up and I asked uh, Alta if she wanted to play pinball, and she's like, okay, and we get over there, and we play a game of pinball and finish that game, and she's like, what? I'm, I'm like, do you want to play another game? She goes, yeah. She goes, well, what's your name? And I said, Chad. She said, do you know a guy named David? And I'm like, Yeah. Did he call you today? Yeah. Well, I'm Alta. I'm the one that we were supposed to have a blind date tonight. So, you know, and this was a place that I had never been. I, I came in because I worked at an oyster bar at the time and wor worked with nothing but guys, you know, and the, nobody had dates after work. So we decided to go down and play uh, darts. You know, and I kind of did the same thing as Alta did. You know, I left all my friends, you know, I mean, there's eight, nine, ten of us, you know, and we were going to go play darts. And I leave all my friends and go to the other side of the bar where the pinball machine was. And so, you know, it's just really strange that I would leave all my buddies, you know, to be by myself. <laughs> and, you know, but apparently, you know, I wasn't by myself. Mm -hmm. I. You know, we we met. Uh, oh, okay. We ended up. I just have to interrupt. I have to know. Do you remember what the theme of the pinball machine was? Like, did it have like you know how they have like themes or like comic book characters or something? <laughs> oh yes, I do. And he says it it's, often. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it was an Elvira pinball machine. Elvira, Queen of the Night, right? The the, the, the uh, yes, of course. Uh, okay. It, it, 
every once in a while you it would hit a certain lever or button or something like that and they go don't touch me there you know so, <laughs> oh in her voice in the actress's voice who yeah, oh, yeah, in, in voice. Her okay voice. okay uh, yeah, yeah. i just had to ask and, I'm, I'm always looking for those kind of like uh you know <laughs> how the plot elements you know like what what would yeah. show up in the up in the story if it was the hollywood movie let's say right right oh yeah 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 i I actually looked uh, to try to find one one year uh, for I was going to get it for us for Valentine's Day, <laughs> but uh, apparently now not. But uh, uh, but yeah, you know, we sat and played a couple of games of pinball and and uh, she ended up I was still kind of staying with my mom at the time, too. She ended up out to came over to my mine and my mom's place. Now, my mom was kind of staying with her boyfriend. So I pretty much had the house to myself and uh get over to my house and we set up and we talk all night long. I mean, no hanky panky, no, none of that. We, you know, sat there and just talked and talked. And my mom came in about, mm, I'd say like five, six o'clock that next morning. And, um, I'm like, mom, this is out to out to this, is my mom, Janice. And she's like, well, that's nice. And goes on and, you know, to get ready for work and, all of a sudden she caught my mom calls me back to her room where she's getting, you know, ready for work. And she goes, does that name Alta sound familiar to you? And I'm like, no, she goes, that's your grandfather. My dad's <laughs> name. Uh, she said he always went by George because he thought Alta was too feminine, you know, but it, his name is Alta George Duncan. So, I go in and I tell Alta, okay, well, you share my grandfather's name, Alta. And Alta's like, well, what's his last name? And I said, Duncan. And she goes, well, that's my mom's maiden name. Uh, so, you know, I end up meeting Alta Duncan, which is my grandfather's name, mm. in a blind date that didn't happen that happened anyway. Mm. So, you know, it was just very bizarre. And then she hid from me from uh, for about three months. Mm -hmm. It scared me so badly inside. Oh, that's interesting. And now, this is so people have a strong reaction to these kinds of synchronicities. Like I'm at the point now where I marvel at them. But there was a point when they scared me. They really yeah. unnerved me. I feel like they just felt like the trap door would drop out from under me when these kind of things would happen to me. Perfect description. Absolutely, because I had already had a lifetime of huge mystery and no answers and couldn't get answers and had given it everything I had. And I still do. And I still have no answers. It it frightened me so badly inside. I, I knew right then that something unseen language I've used commonly was seemed to be controlling this and I didn't like it. And so my reaction was to disappear. And so for months he couldn't find me. Oh, Sorry. oh, how interesting! Oh, you okay? I can see that. So that doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise mm -hmm. me. Solving mm -hmm. this mystery, am I mm -hmm. okay? That you may, my senses will never solve it. No one's going to solve this mystery like at the end of a detective novel. Um, yeah. And I think we all just have to. Or I certainly, for my my own life lessons, my sanity mm -hmm. depended on a point when I realized I just have to be content with the with the mystery. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And there's a playful quality to it. And this is, I mean, you, so your story has, your short little book has um, some delightful stuff, like the story you just shared, and some really unsettling stuff, too. So some really frightening stuff. Hey, um, we are going to take our first break. We'll be back in a few moments. For members, we'll be back right away. For non-members, you get to hear a few commercials. We'll be right back. This is The Unseen, and we are back with Chad and Alta Dillard. When we left just moments ago, they were talking about how they met 29 years ago on Valentine's Day. And now we're going to fast forward to Valentine's Day just a few days ago. I'm recording this in February of 2019. And so, yeah, when, when I was organizing and contacting you to set up this interview, you seemed a little frazzled. You had a story that something had just happened. What what happened? Mm. Well, uh, I, I, I guess I'll kind of take Alta is, uh, is the one that kind of shared it with you. Uh, but um, it happened to me uh, just this, like you said, 
Valentine's night. Uh, Alta's working. Um, she works in the French Quarter in, in a really nice place there in the French Quarter. Uh, and I parked around the corner, you know, waiting her for her to call me to, you know, pick her up. And she calls me. I jump the gun a little bit and and go around. Well, she's not out front yet, so I'm just going to make the block. You know, it's just a city block. And I remember going past the store and then turning, but then my lights go out. I don't remember anything. The next thing I know, I'm getting another phone call from Alta, and she said that I was really bizarre uh, sounding, but when I realize where I'm at, I'm way out of the French Quarter. I'm like three, four miles outside the French Quarter, uh, way in another part of the town, which is is called Mid City, and with no recollection of how I got there. I mean, nothing. The last thing I remember was coming back around the corner to pick her up, you know, out in front of her shop. Mm -hmm. And now I'm, you know, four miles away Mm -hmm. on a busy street. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember there's no traffic. Now, this is, you know, nine o'clock at night. So and this is, you know the main thoroughfare through through New Orleans, uh, Canal Street, Valentine's Night. So, you know, there's always traffic. So, yeah, very bizarre. Uh, I finally get back to the French Quarter and pick Alta up, and I am just dazed and confused. It was just, yeah, it was, it was almost like an hour later. Um, so somehow you seem to have lost about an hour of time while driving a car. In a city. Right. In yes. a city. Yeah. And And Alta, you were that. talking to him, you had a phone conversation with him over the cell phone. Several. Because Chad's just around the corner, but when I first called him, it's around nine. <clears throat> That's when the shop closes. I moved very quickly, getting myself together to make sure that we didn't miss each other. <clears throat> Excuse me, because it's Valentine's and it's hectic and crazy and French Quarter is only 13 blocks square, and you pile thousands of people in that, lots of alcohol and so on, and it's just, it's hectic. So when I call him, he sounds odd to me. He sounds, he sounds disturbed. Now, you hear Chad's voice, sweet, consistent, but when I called him, I took note that his tone, that's the word, tone was different. He said in a harsh tone, I'm just around the corner. I said, Chad, are you all right? He never answered me. He hangs up. He's just around the corner. So I hustle to make sure he doesn't miss me. So when he says he comes past and I'm not there, that does not register in my mind. And and excuse me, and Chad, do you remember saying that? Yeah, uh, I do remember saying, yeah, I'm I'm just around the corner. And I was. It didn't sound like that. Yeah. Okay. At a different tone. And so there's the first, you know, beginnings of mystery to me because I'm now outside the shop. They've locked the door because the shop's closed. Owners have left and there I stand. And so uh, I start calling relatively quickly. I mean, I give him a few minutes, but that's ridiculous. He should be a minute around the corner. And so when I start calling, This is what is absolutely creeping me out, and it's creeping me out, and it's terrifying me. And there's my word. I I went through an hour of being terrified. He would answer the phone each time I called, and and every time he'd do it, he could feel. He knew I was being becoming very disturbed, and my tone's changing. And now I'm saying, where are you? Where are you? And his voice is never answering me. He's never telling me where he is. He just keeps repeating, I'm coming, even in a much harsher voice. Uh, At one point, let me back up very quickly. When I first started calling, I remember when this ordeal began, maybe the second call, he answered, and those words, I'm coming, All of a sudden, I know very distinctly I heard what sounded like a very creepy whisper. 
come across the line. Now, at that point, I'm convinced he's got somebody in the car with him. And my mind is starting to race. What the hey is going on here? Because I can hear the blinker on the car. So I know he's driving. And I know he's turning. Now, Chad has no awareness of a whisper across our line. Because at that point now, I'm understanding Chad's lights are going out, as he says, memory. And, and, so any, call, and Chad, does Chad have any memory of those uh, those multiple phone calls? Uh, I remember a few, yeah. But there were multiple. Six, I'd say. I mean, I just don't do this with Chad, but I'm becoming absolutely panicked. Uh, at the end of that ordeal for me on that end of it, he is now telling me he's back in the quarter, but he's on the opposite end of where I'm at. So Chad, as he's describing this to me when he picks me up, he has made it clear that he has no awareness until he's turning around on Canal Street. Again, Canal is the major thoroughfare. He says also that he had, he had to hit every red light coming back, and there are many, and it took an hour. And it took an hour. Wow, that's very disturbing. Yes, it's very strange. And this is the kind of thing that, I mean, you get these stories. This is these stories that are, that imply something, but it's hard to understand and it doesn't really go anywhere. This is very challenging in this work to, to, to try to untangle these threads, these disparate threads that seem to lead nowhere. But it's very interesting, this 29 years to the day of your meeting there. So. Right. And, in 1997, we have a, what most think of, I, I think of as a, like a somewhat major event in our lives. And that time factor, that took place from 9.30 till around 11. Well, let's, let's talk about that one, because that's the next question on my list. I have very few questions on this list here, and that's the, that's the big one, the events of that night. Chad's asking me to begin this, and then we'll, we'll have him, again, his memory and understanding. I'm working in a shop, not the shop I'm in currently, uh, another shop that had started, it's a family-owned business. They started their business in 1929. Well, let me interrupt. You're doing psychic work, correct? I am. And just explain what you're doing. This is because this is fascinating to me also that this shows up as part of the mystery here, this people with psychic abilities. Mm. Well, just a little fast background, a lot of my mystery and my history is I don't have any memory at all that I'm that I and I've worked very hard to try to have some prior to the age of around nine. At around nine years old, uh, I, as I say, wake up. I don't have anything before that, but the wake up moment is I'm in a sterilized environment. It, it, we I discover is a military hospital in Aurora, Colorado. Um, I discovered that, you know, my mom and my stepfather at the time and myself live somewhere in that vicinity. And I'm in this environment being tested for ESP. Now, well, let me interrupt. This is your first memory. Right. In your whole life. Right. So your first memory is being tested for psychic abilities in a military hospital. Right. Wow. Okay. That, you implied that in the book, and I'm, you're clarified that right here. So thank you. This, that's, that's an odd detail. Thank you. Yes. Uh, so that's first memory. Well, apparently my mother always knew that she had an unusual baby in the regards of, because my mother claims to have none of these abilities. But my mother also indicated that a craft, uh, simplify the language, a UFO, came down out of the sky during daytime while she's driving a car and I'm six months old at the time. And she claims that it stopped her on the road. Now, when my mother would say this very seldom in her life to very few people, I remember crawling away in embarrassment. I have no, I had no interest in any of it. And so it was embarrassing because I already had too much mystery in my life with no answers. So just this very bizarre history. And so this, as you referred to the psychic side of this, uh, I just consider it just being more tuned into energy 
the language has always been an issue for me. So please forgive me because I understand everyone else has language. I just, you know, I'm very consistent with mine. And mine has always been, you know, that that connection, if you will, with energy. Uh, so we end up moving to the French Quarter in originally 1995. This is off of Chad and I having our first that we're aware of together, massive UFO experience. And that took place just right before we moved to the quarter in another small town, probably about an hour or so, 45 minutes out of the quarter. And so that was an experience that we couldn't deny as hard as we tried. We didn't want to discuss it. We didn't, it was like a non-event. We were trying to have it, both of us, as a non-event. Because we both, I, I know I certainly went into shock. And so we stayed silent about it, but we discovered others had witnessed it as well, and they had reported it. So it kind of made it a reality that we were not interested in. We moved to the quarter. Next thing I know, I get involved in this shop. And people claim that I offer good work. Um, so on this particular night in 1997, three months prior to this, my mother had crossed. She had died. She died on my 40th birthday to the minute I'm born. Again, more high strangeness as far as I'm concerned. Uh, she was 24 hours of moving to the quarter, long distance from Little Rock, to start a brand new life with us. And we were so excited. She adores Chad and he thought just as highly of mom. And so it just was not meant to be. It put me, it sunk us both, but me in particular, uh, emotionally. I felt absolutely broken. Now I have to still work. You know, I'm still trying to maintain all of this. So we're dealing with a lot of issues. So the shop, the family had hired this young woman known as Christine in the book. She, at that time, she's 24. Chad is 30. And I've just turned 40. She's never been married, no ha has no children. She happens to be very single at the time. She's tall, very slender, long blonde hair, pretty. And I love to describe her as gregarious. She has an amazing laugh. Nothing phony about her. Always interested in, as she, we would refer to in the form of Mother Earth, highly interested in environmental causes. So that describes her. Uh, they've hired her to kind of run the shop and sort of manage us as the so-called psychics of the shop. There were several of us. And so the moment I met her, I felt, and I'm sure you've heard this often and maybe yourself, Mike, that I knew her. I felt I knew her. And it just ran very deep to me. This particular night in 97, she knows how much suffering is going on between Chad and I over the loss of my mom. She asked me if I wanted to go out that night and have dinner and drinks. Okay, let's do it. We've never done it before. I tell her, let's call Chad. He'd, he'd love to join us. And we only lived at that time a couple blocks from the shop. So we call Chad. He gets all cleaned up. He walks over and he joins us. Hey, I am sorry to say this. I need to take our second and last break of the interview We've reached the 30-minute mark, and this is the end of the free interview for non-members. Members, stay tuned. We'll continue in just a moment. This is The Unseen, and we are back for the final half hour of our show. We're talking with Chad and Alta Dillard. And uh, just before the break here, Alta was describing the night in question, and it's her and Christine and Chad all together in the French Quarter of New Orleans. So we step outside of the shop around 9.30. She locks the door. I do remember very acutely that it felt like the energy was different around us. And I remember saying it out loud. Feels, energy feels, feels weird out here, kind of language. Not a big deal, but I just remember, and that's kind of odd for me, that I did that and that I took note of it. I remember them acknowledging it also. Again, we're off and running because nobody's thinking nothing paranormal or what have you. We start our evening on Bourbon Street, the famous Bourbon Street. And we're just going to work our way across these 13 blocks uh, without any plan. Very spontaneous. We stop at the first, look, the first uh, uh, bar restaurant 
and it happened to be a location that Chad had worked at prior, Chad. Right. Yeah. It was a restaurant bar and we, we always, we, you know, we knew people that worked there. We knew the band, we knew the owner, uh, we knew the owners, mm-hmm. you know, it was just a you know, kind of a cool place to go. And it had and, a big disco oh, upstairs with the balcony. So it'd be one of these places you'd see on television. Right. Thing about Mardi Gras. And, and, and the thing about it is, as we're walking there, we're like, where is everyone? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was like, where is everybody? I mean, there was a few people walking around, but I mean, not, I mean, we're on bourbon street, you know, mm-hmm. and nine thirty. this is when, you know, everybody starts and starts coming, you out. know, and when we get to the restaurant, there's only one person there working the and it was the manager. Place. Yeah. And he was, he was bartending and waiting and, but there, there wasn't was nobody any, there. But there was no, there weren't any, any any customers. And and this is the name of the chapter of the of the in your book is where are all the people? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And you know, even in the slow season, because we're we're figuring this is around September time when this happened, and even in the slow season or whatever, there's still you know the local people and the you know. Uh, everybody's playing you know the band's not there like i said there's only one person there i mean just the whole thing weird we at that point decide that we're gonna uh mosey on uh we leave and we hit another spot that's kind of between one end of the quarter and the other we go in we go in we sit down again there's no people nobody except a bartender or whatever, whoever she was. We don't stick around long enough to even order. So we get up and we leave. We go to the very end of the quarter. And now we've gone back. We're going to a place that when Chad and I would go out and celebrate, that's the place we'd go. It's a Thai bar downstairs, a Thai restaurant downstairs. It's called the Dragon's Den above it. So this night, the three of us go up the stairs, as we'd always done. And this night, the door is shut. That never happened before. And there's a sign on the door, cover charge. That never happened before. So all three of us pivoted on the staircase and said, we've never had to do that before. We ain't doing it tonight. And go down the stairs in a puffy mood. We get back out on the sidewalk. We're going to try one more time because we've hit the whole quarter. There's no people. This is not happening. We cross the street. And we're heading to our last spot, and that's called Checkpoint Charlie's. There's no people, except there's a little blonde dude standing outside the door. And I take note of the fact that he's quite cute, blonde, like our friend, seems to be around the same age, and very friendly to her. So at least all is not lost. I go past him because the door is open into the entrance. I look in. Well, what do you know? There's not literally a soul in there. I then walk away from the door. She's standing and visiting with this blonde guy. Can't hear any of the conversation, but they look friendly. I move over. I move down the block have a little about bit. About half a block. About a half a block, Chad's saying. And I, I'm i telling Chad privately, I'm so bored, I just want to go home. I don't even want to walk the blocks back to our place. Let's get a cab. That's what I'm remembering. I'm remembering Chad in agreement with me, and then that's the last thing that we know is that moment. It's around 11 o'clock. The next thing I know, I don't wake up, I come to. Big difference. And I'm Indian-styled sitting in the living room of my townhouse. It's somewhere between 8 and 9 in the morning. The sun is blaring through the window, and I'm rubbing my arms. And I'm aware instantly I've got something in my upper arm. Can't begin to describe the intense emotions and panic and where's Chad? Where's Christine? I can't see anybody. I feel like I'm in that place all by myself. Now, I seem to be the only one out of the three of us thus far that seems to have memory of what I call the in-between. As I've often said, have no memory of coming off the street and have no memory of being returned home. But I have this full-blown kind of very bizarre. Yes, Yes, I want to hear this. This is this this is a remarkable part of the story. Please, please go on. So, next thing I know, I'm standing on the edge of a crater, 
everything I look like, I feel like what I'm witness to is that I'm in the, in a black and white movie of the so-called moon landing. That's the environment around me. That's what it looks like. That's the coloring. As I'm looking down in this huge crater, because I'm right on the edge of it, I see a metallic something down there. And at first I'm thinking, looks like a building, a hangar. Uh, I don't know. But nothing else is going on down there. And it's metallic. It's bright. I don't see any kind of movement of any kind. Nothing. Next thing I know, now I'm aware there's something going on behind me. So I don't completely turn around. I pivot. And what I see is human-looking folk that are in different ages. I remember them. I don't remember any folks of color, all Caucasian. But I'd say the youngest is feeling somewhere between 8 and 10 years old. And then what appears to be an old man. And maybe two folks in between. And they are dogpiled. They seem to be in suspended animation. I don't see any kind of disturbance on faces. Now, this is happening fast. Yeah, this is a very strange part of I remember reading this, and I remember you telling me this years ago when we spoke. Now, were they, did, I mean, was your, did they seem dead is the question I had. No, not at all. Okay, okay, good to know. But I remember feeling disturbed. Understandably, I can only imagine, yeah. Right. But I mean, in the emotion, disturbed about why are they piled this way? What is going on? My normal behavior would be to run to them, to try to help, whatever that means. There was no, there was no, there was, they were dressed and eyes open and again, felt like suspended animation. I didn't see any kind of terror in faces, fear in faces. So before I could do that, as in turn completely around and start to move in that direction, I'm now aware something is standing right next to me. There's something right next to me, like almost touching my body next to me. So I turn back and my words, it's her. And the her is, let me just say, I don't care who she is. I'm home. That's the emotion that's coming across me. I'm so happy, whoever she is, I don't care, because I felt, I felt home. And I don't remember ever having that emotion before. And she is probably over six feet tall, because I have to kind of crank my head back to look up at her. Now, we're side to side. We're on the edge of that crater. And then she seems to be in a, in a bodysuit. But she is perfectly, absolutely, she's my version. And I had no idea until I'm having this experience, my version of perfection. Let me back up real quick also. That's what I would describe those two so-called men who walked into that pub that, that night in 1990. They were perfection. She was also. Long blonde hair. I've never used the word Nordic. I've always just referred to her as her. I just understand that she was absolutely my idea of perfection, and I was home. I didn't care where I was. I had no questions in my head. I didn't, I didn't, nothing. And my other description of that is if I'd have been a puppy with a tail, it was wagging off. I was just that happy. <laughs> right. That's a good right. description. Good. I, that's a, I, I get that. So, yes, that was, that. I, in fact, I wrote this down in my notes that you wrote in, in the book you wrote, I was home with this wonderful being. Nothing else mattered. That's powerful stuff. And then also just when you said it's her, I've heard that many times more and I have my own experiences when I've said it's them. Mm. And, and, but, but that you said it's her implies some sort of familiarity implies that you've met her before. Mm. Now that's just an implication. I, I certainly can't know, but yes, we're talking about high, high emotions here and you describe it mm. beautifully. Mm. Thank you for that. That almost brought tears to my eyes. I mean, it touches so deep. And so I remember at this stage of this experience, looking above her, up into the sky. I'm surrounded in black sky and what appeared to be diamonds. That description of stars as diamonds in the sky. 
And I was just beyond happy. And then, then they began to move. One moved. And what I mean by moved is it horizontally. And then there's some zigzagging going on. And then they're all doing this. And I am instantly going from the state of bliss oh, to beyond terror. And at that point, my heart felt like it was going to beat out of my chest. It was, it was racing so hard and fast. And in that very moment, then she, in this tone that I've never heard since, and I could never duplicate, spoke to me. And it was telepathic. And she called me by name. And again, forgive, because I cannot repeat the beauty of the sound of it. But she said, Alta, don't be afraid. They're just scanning you. And in that very moment, then, is when I came to the next morning with this unknown in my upper arm. So now Chad is that. I'm oh, sorry. Oh, go on. Yeah. So that, that's remarkable to me. Now that I just I listened to that kind of thing and I am lost. Like, I don't know whether it was like some sort of theatrical projection, whether it really happened. I mean, just the fact if you were on the moon, I mean, you couldn't breathe the air. So, I mean, there's a thousand things that just jump to mind to make it illogical. But I'm, you know, looking at it symbolically, it's, you know, it's it's a remarkable story. And it's exactly the kind of thing, I want to be cautious how to say this, that a nuts and bolts UFO researcher, if they read that in the report, they would Probably they might not crumble it up and throw it in the wastebasket, but they might have a special drawer that they never really open. <laughs> they might put the report in that drawer. And this is where I'm at in this stuff: is these these kind of um, I, you know, like I'm not gonna I'm not here to solve the mystery. I guess I, I know I can't do that, but I am fascinated by these kind of details. Yeah. So, so you wake up, you're at home. I actually, I came to. Okay, came to. Yes, okay, so I get what you're saying. So when I wake up in the morning, there's just kind of this foggy listlessness, and I gently go from sleep to waking. And that's right. not what you're, that's not what you, what happened to you. No, not at all. I, my eyes popped open, sitting straight up with my legs crossed Indian style, which is what I do when I'm private. And I'm in my living room. I had a brass day bed. We had a brass day bed at the time. That's where I'm, where I'm, where I come to. I have instant recall of that memory I just described to you, whatever that's all about. And then I'm in an instant state of, again, pure panic and terror. I've got something in my upper arm that was not there that I'm aware of the night before. Where's Chad? Where's Christine? is all I could keep saying. I looked over. I had view from where I was sitting to our bedroom. I saw a great big lump in the bed. It was, the lump was covered in blankets. I prayed that that lump was mine, as in Chad. As I started to say, Chad has had regression several years later. He has a completely different experience that he has accounted for, recounted, and I'd also like to mention our, our friend Christine, who our third com component of that night, that 97 event, if I might mention very quickly, because she's given us permission years ago to speak on her behalf, but has no interest in being public. And so if I might, if I could share with you. Oh, oh please do. Please do. She had had. Now, keep in mind, this is a 24 year old, very attractive, young, single woman. She didn't live in the quarter. She lived in an area called Algiers Point that's across the river. So you either have to take the ferry or you have to have a vehicle or cab, of course, getting back and forth. On that particular day of that night, she had driven her car that morning. She parked her car up the street from the shop. Take note of that, if you will. We'll get back to that if we have time. But what she shared with me, and I'm feel that the only reason she shared this with me is because she understood about my native background. She shares with me that and this happened just a few days, I believe, or just a week or so prior to our 97 event of missing time. She says that she, what her account is, is that she had been dating very briefly a young guy named Will. Will was her absolute polar opposite. We met him. We knew him. 
he had long black hair, very attractive, but he had a darkness about him. So I referred to him as dark boy. Well, she decides she's going to move on with her life. She invites him over to her apartment. They're standing outside daylight on her porch while she's telling him the I like your butt kind of story. And she says that he becomes so emotional that it's like she's she's witnessing him becoming so emotional. She she said they're only a couple of inches in front of each other. He shape shifted into a wolf. She said she turned her head away instantly, just as, and I understood exactly what she was saying in shock, turned her head back. He must have shifted human and then wolf a second time, then human again. She said at that point, and I'll clean the language up, you just turned into an effing wolf. She said that he responded to her in a very startled voice. You saw that. So I didn't need no proof. She don't lie. Well, the craziness of what I just shared with you, this happens to her right before this happens to the three of us. Her recollection of that night in 97, lights go out for her at 11, just like Chad and I. The next thing she knows, it's somewhere between three and four in the morning. She's now behind the steering wheel of her moving car. It's moving slowly. It hit a parked car and knocked off her rear view mirror. This is what jolted her too. She realizes she's in another section of the city. She's beyond freaked out. Who could imagine? She says that the car seems to be driving itself, but she's taking control of it. Next thing she knows, she's in Dark Boy's neighborhood. He lives, now this sounds like a movie script. He lives in this old house sounding, turned into apartments, maybe a fourplex. He happens to have the downstairs apartment. It's got a big, I think, iron gate fence around it that's normally locked. Of course, not this morning when the car pulls up in front of it. She gets out of the car. She goes up the steps through the gate, up his porch steps. His front door is open. She says he's inside the front door. There's a light above him, and he's playing guitar. She said he stopped playing guitar, looked right at her as she moves into the house and says something creepy like, We've been waiting for you or I've been waiting for you. She said she comes completely apart emotional. She says he puts his guitar down, leads her into a room. She remembers laying down with him. She says she goes to sleep instantly. She cries herself to sleep. That's her memory. Next thing she knows, she wakes up. She realizes where she's at. She says she's dressed. It doesn't appear that he's done anything to her. She says she gets up and she gets the flock out of Dodge, my words, and does not look back. Now, that's her version of what happened that night. This is a remarkable. She remar has no this, memory. Yeah, this is remarkable. This is remarkable. Now, Chad, now you, here, let's just jump to you. You, uh, Alto must have woken you up that, that morning. Uh, no, actually, um, about the time that she was coming out of the, um, the bathroom, discovering something in her arm uh i get up and i i walk over to her we you know we kind of walking towards each <laughs> yeah, other you know and i'm looking at her like what the heck happened to us last night how did we get home i i knew we weren't drinking we weren't doing drugs and you know you know i just i i couldn't understand i couldn't grasp i'm like what happened to us last night and she's like, I don't know. I was hoping that you would tell me. Only he's much calmer right. than what was actually going on. It was very emotional. So uh, she's like, well, call Christine. And I'm like, I'm not calling Christine. You call Christine. And this went on, you know, back and forth. We never ended up calling Christine. You know, we wanted, we were just so scared and so freaked out. And uh, I think Alta, the next day or two, she went back to work and, Two days after, yeah, this happened. And um, that's when Christine told Alta, you know, what had happened to her. And she was confused just as, as much as we were. So, Chad, what's your recollection of what happened that night? When In my regression, what comes out is we're all at our, our friend Christine had joined us uh, back at the this mid block at this stoop. And we're kind of standing there. And I see this bright light coming from around the corner, just very bright, 
white, extremely bright light. So I get the girl's attention and we walk around the corner and there's this orb, very bright, white, clean. I would say it was probably 12 foot in diameter. It's probably about 15 foot off the ground or off the street. And it's about a half a block down the street. Now, this was on Frenchman. Now, Frenchman is is much busier in a wilder place than it was back then. But we, I remember us walking around. We see it. We s- sit there looking at it. And within just a few seconds, I would say, it comes towards us. And in, it just engulfs us. It takes us in. It orbducted us. Yeah, it orbducts us. Yeah, there's the and, title of the book right there. Yeah. Title of the book. Yeah. So my next memory is I'm walking down this corridor. It's kind of gently turning to the right. Uh, I'm following this little being in front of me. Now, he's uh, he's kind of got the big bulbous head, gray, pale gray skin. Uh, he's wearing like this one-piece jumpsuit thing you know very tight fitting now i only saw him from behind and he wasn't like the thin grays that you see on tv or you know he kind of had substance to him he kind of waddled when he walked he was almost like a dwarf it you know like you know a small person out of the corner of my eye uh on my left yeah on my left uh out of the corner of my eye i could see a tall blonde female walking beside me now this does describe our friend Christine that was with us that night, but I didn't turn to look to see. My next memory is I'm in this room and it just seems infinite. It's very dark. It just seems like huge. Again, over to my left, I could see a tall blonde female laying on an examining table. There were three beings around her and they were seven, eight foot tall, kind of praying manisy, buggy kind of looking head. Now their mouth very close to their chin, big eyes. Uh, their hands were kind of crinkled up like a praying mantis. Now they were wearing these cloaks, but it was, you know, no hoodie. You know, they were, it was kind of like the Grim Reaper without the hoodie or, you know, a Jesuit priest kind of thing. Um, like, the, the person on the table never seemed to be in any kind of uh, distress or anything like that. It was like she was unconscious. Uh, there was one at her head and one at each side. Uh, I focused my attention back to my immediate, and I look over to the right, and there's this little blue being. And now he looks exactly – or not exactly, but a lot like the the beings that you see on, you know, communion or, but instead of gray, he's this bright, vibrant, live blue. And his, his demeanor, his aura was that of like a priest slash shaman slash scientist, just ancient knowledge, just very inviting. I was never scared. I was never nervous or anything like that uh during any of my experience he goes over and he picks up this box and he has it in his right hand he takes his left hand now he's only got four digits and you know again he's very small i would say three four foot tall he takes his hand and he puts it into the side of this box and when he pulls his hand out there's this substance kind of free floating above his hand and it looks kind of like that jelly stuff that the kids play with, the slime stuff. Uh, but it was kind of translucent. You could almost see through it. It was blue, just the same color of blue that he was. And there was like these little sparkly, glittery, metal-looking flakes in it. And uh, now I don't even remember him setting the box down, you know. But he takes his right hand. And again, he's only got four digits, so he's got his two middle fingers up and then his uh, two outer fingers folded in, almost kind of like in a peace sign or or like when you see, you know, Buddha or Christ or anything like that. You know, they have kind of that two finger up kind of 
thing. And when it's, it's called a mudra. Yeah, that's what the, what yeah, the hand positions are called a mudra. Then that's a yogic practice involves a mudra. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so when he does this, and he's got his you know hands almost close together, and he's got the this substance kind of in front of the hand with the mudra, and you know his left hand out straight. And when he does this, this substance starts spinning and it's just going faster and faster and faster, just spinning. And as it spins, the blueness and the um, the metal glittery flakes kind of dissipate out of it. And it's kind of rotating around it like, you know, orbiting around it like, you know, we do with the sun, you know, or galaxy, you know, kind of thing. And it starts slowing down and it turned in this substance had turned into this like double pointed crystal and kind of pyramid shaped uh probably two three inches in size and i remember thinking to him you know why are you showing this to me i'm not a doctor i'm not a scientist i'm not an engineer this is something very important why are you showing this to me now in the beginning i kind of thought that it was like some kind of electrical power kind of thing machine or or crystal energy kind of thing but i'm thinking more now that it was more not necessarily electrical energy but like healing energy or um crystal energy and like i said and you know i was thinking to him you know why are you showing this to me you know and he Again, this is all telepathically. He, he says back to me that I will know in time or when it's time. Oh, oh gosh, I have to interrupt. I have to interrupt that line. You will mm. know when it's time, or people will say like, "Oh, I got a download. I got this like blast of information." And then the next line is, "Yeah, but I don't know what it is, but I will know in time." Yeah, that yeah. that gets repeated over and over in this lore, and and I don't know what to make of that. Whether wherever when that time may now at the same time within this lore, there's this crazy urgency, and everyone is just like, "Oh, the time is at hand. The time is at hand. The time is it's almost here. It's almost here," and that has been going on for a decade or so. In my that's as long as I've been aware right. of it. So what you're saying is stuff I've heard many, many times. Infuriating. Yeah. And, you know, and that's why we like sharing our story, because, you know, mm-hmm. that way people, you know, don't feel alone or, you know, that they're out there by themselves, you know, that, you know, it happens to, you know, other people. And, so, and yes, that's... and we are not alone. We are not alone. We are not by ourselves. And no, we're no. we're wrestling with what may be the grandest mystery and it's it can feel very lonely and i and i am so grateful this is going to sound a little trite but i'm so grateful that my experiences and the the, my awakening and when i came to terms with this stuff in my life coincided with the internet as silly as that sounds the ability to contact people and reach out with this new technology has been remarkable so I'm so grateful for this era. Uh, right. And I'll also say that I feel like the collective, like the grand collective, the public, they're not 100% receptive to this, but I feel that they're much, much more receptive, everyone, the collective public, in ways that they would not have been 20 years ago. And again, right. I'm grateful that I'm wrestling with these experiences in this new timeline rather than just a, a decade or so ago. Right. Absolutely. Right. And and I'll add that, you know, thank the heavens that we can talk about this stuff in a, in a format that can be yeah. easily shared. And, um, yeah, and I think this is a great place to end this. And and uh, I, I know we could go on for hours and hours and hours, and it would be wonderful to have you back. And I know, because Alta, you and I have talked many, many hours going back a few years yes. ago <laughs> now. And, yes. and uh, people who have these experiences – what you've described, there is a richness and a depth to these things that seems mm-hmm. bottomless at times. And, Absolutely. Yeah. So I just want to thank you so much for your time and your book. And this has been a delight. And thank you for your bravery in sharing all this. Just the highest praises to you, sir. And we're just so grateful that, again, that you're there and that you have been willing and, and stayed interested in us. And we just can't thank you enough, Mike. And just wish you the absolute right. best. And I wish you the best also. Thank you so much. 
This is Mike, and I'm chiming in at the end. Uh, this was a tough interview to squeeze so much in. This is a big story and, and just not quite enough time. I needed to play editor. I said this earlier. I needed to play editor and snip a few things out just to get it to fit into the allotted time, and, and, that, and that broke my heart. And uh, I made a mistake at the end. Um, I forgot to do the thing that you're supposed to do when you interview folks for a podcast like this. I didn't ask them how to get a hold of their book. The title of their book is Orbducted. I'll repeat that. Orbducted in the French Quarter by Alta and Chad Dillard. There will be a link in the show notes. And also it's available on Amazon. Easy to find. It's not available in Kindle. I'm going to put a little pressure on them for that one. It's a short book. It's a quick read. Uh, you can read it in one sitting. It is less than 70 pages. Uh, I said it at the beginning. I'm saying it again here. This is a remarkable little book. They crammed a lot into those 70 pages. It's a big story in a little book. And before I go, I want to thank Lauren Cutts for the intro music with Andrea Villiers on the gong. It's also the outro music. You'll hear it here shortly. And if you've made it this far... Thank you so much. Bye now. <laughs>